Hello all, and welcome to the pilot episode of RC Radio, the cornerstone for conservative commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Cade Buckley, and joining me tonight is our other host, Richard Eugene Stone. Richard? Good evening, and thank you for joining us tonight, and it's a pleasure to be here for the kicking off of the cornerstone and the beginning of our new philosophy and the beginning of our journey on conservative political commentary. Yes, we thank you for joining all of us. Um, it has been quite a dreary uh, day where I live. It has been nothing but rain and ice and snow. And for Richard, it is doing ex- very similar things yeah. with the cold. And his entire state is shut down because of and, it. And the rain. I cannot imagine. The rain. There's been tremendous yes. amounts of rain. Yes, for where Richard lives, more than two inches every decade is a lot of rain. So, <laughs> please be praying for him. Actually, um, Mississippi is a very s- humid state. Did you know that? No, we're, I, I we're didn't. We're quite humid. Our, our average humidity rate's probably like 98%. That sounds absolutely miserable. I'm glad I am a Yankee for once. <laughs> for um, once. So, as, oh, wait, I'm sorry. as we start traders, into the show... Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Union boys will win the day, win the day. Uh, As we start out with this episode, I'm going to let Richard explain a little bit about the show, how we came to deciding to do a podcast, and where the real idea for this comes. So, Richard, take it away. Well, in my political journeys, it really started off from a modest point. I, I, I started my account, which is now Classical Conservative, a fairly prosperous and uh, a fairly though I've not been on it at, at this point in time, not been on it very much, I've started getting back, and I'm thankful for the number of followers I have, and I started off just as a little personal account under my name, and just sort of posted whatever I wanted, and as time went on, I started posting more about things that mattered to me, such as politics and uh, the issues I knew about, though I hadn't refined my ideology at that point. Um, it was just... Whatever, I was a Republican. I didn't really know why I was a Republican, uh, but that was just what I knew, and so I posted things which corresponded with my ideological uh, point of view. And over time, I it took on more the shape of a political account after I had the amazing opportunity be, to become a guest on the Two Savage for Democrats podcast. And which was at the time and still is now that I look at an amazing opportunity and one of the greatest points in my life because without it, I wouldn't be the person who I am today just because of the people who it's who it's brought into my life and the points of view that I've been exposed to because of it. It's made me the political enthusiast that I am today. The my it's made my views what they are today because of the people that it's brought into my life and I'm very thankful for the life that I've had and just from that experience I've thought that I should end with my uh oh, of course it brought me to Cade that's one of the main things uh, the the main thing that has had the biggest impact on my political philosophy and from our countless nights talking about and expanding on what we know and what we believe, sometimes uh, debating, sometimes agreeing, um, usually not agreeing though, we, <laughs> we, uh, 
we, I, I, not too long ago, I thought, what if we took what we talk about behind the scenes and put it on a political podcast that might afford some education and entertainment aspects for other people and might, you know, lead them down some of the roads that I've been led down and take some other unfortunate neoconservative to the path of liberty and prosperity. Yes, thank you very much, Richard. As you can tell, it's it's a riveting story, uh, Richard's political journey, and one that we will eventually when I don't when I don't butcher it, <laughs> we will eventually have to expound upon it one day when we have the time. Um, I'll I'll give my own side of things. So, from a young age, I... much more eloquently. So I must. Say. <laughs> Um, from a young age, I, I've always been aware that I've wanted to study history, and because of my study of history as a young child, I, I became very quickly aware of um, the resounding efforts of conservatism in the world and as a life philosophy, the idea of conserving the past, the past being some articulate goal that we can never grasp because of it's either been long dead or the fact that we just don't have access to it any longer. Um, I understood that conservative values such as the strong centralized family, strong community are necessary in the building of a free society. The, the free cities of Europe were built solely because of these strong aspects of community. And that, you know, I understood that at a young age, whether, you know, I was able to put it into words or not. It was something ingrained inside of me. So, I, you know, I was always a Republican as a child. I, I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea, but I was a Republican. And I was very proud of being a Republican. I was not a dirty old Democrat. Well, as I began to grow, uh, by chance, coming out of a rather awkward phase of my early teenage years, I, by chance, stumbled onto a political simulation account on the great, great app known as Instagram. And um, through that, I followed this political simulation and it threw me back into the love of politics. I realized how much I had loved uh, the idea, how much it was so foreign to me, yet so new. Uh, this was also the time of the 2016 primary, but it was in the middle of 2015. So I became enticingly wrapped up in it and through this political simulation, I found the Two Savage for Democrats podcast, the uh, unfortunate or fortunate podcast that Richard was on so many times and I – I was amazed by what this man was saying. I, I didn't know how old Richard was. I didn't know anything about him, but I was I was astounded by how similar we were and how everything he said just seemed to make sense. It seemed to be correct. So in my fruits of watching this and being the young little neocon I was, I, I messaged Richard and I was I was ecstatic when he did respond to me and through our conversations of similarity, I discovered he was not only much younger than I was, but he, he was much more knowledgeable, and I, I strived to be as knowledgeable as Richard, and that was my goal since I've known him. And uh, through that, I can say that thankfully that goal has been met. I I think I know just about as much as Richard does, and I, I will one day hope to know everything that he does. And so that brought me through an ideological journey through our debates and our discussions of conservatism, of liberty, of freedom, of, of government even. And I, for a while, went down this rabbit hole of degenerate, legalized heroin anarchism, but I, I've slowly been brought back to um, 
common sense small government. I, I've become more of a regionalist and a localist, and that I believe is the truest form of conservatism. Is um, something that Mises put it self determinationism. Um, if I don't choose to live under the United States, I should be allowed to choose to live under whatever I want and follow my own moral code and ethics. And as such, I believe the regionalist, secessionist, localist government is truly the most conservative that we can have. It was the government model that existed for all of human history before the French Revolution. And as such, it's brought me back to some may consider a paleo conservative, but I, I consider it a liberty conservative. Uh, it's brought me back to this understanding of limited governments and ways that society is able to organize itself in very limited fashions, just still conserving the ideals of the past to protect individual liberty that really built the West as we know it. So enough of our stories. I'm going to let Richard talk about what the cornerstone commentary really is and why we value that over modern-day conservatism and um, why real conservatives don't conserve anything. What we're doing is seeking to conserve the principles and ideals of the past, you know, that small government, that localized regional autonomy that many places have. So, Richard, tell us a little bit about that and then end it off with talking to us about how you came to your convictions and your traditions. Well, uh, in my political journeys, I've embraced many different forms of conservatism. Well... Maybe not many, but I've certainly been a journey from a Romney-esque neoconservative who, you know, thinks that if you got a problem, you can bomb it, uh, to someone who really, uh, through my <laughs> through my conversations with Cade, I've come to understand the abilities of man based on their own means and their capabilities. And the understanding that if you leave mankind to better themselves based on what they can get, I mean, based on what they have and what they can make more of, you have the betterment of the entire society. And you don't have to have any major form of intervention by any sort of government entity or, and, and you, you, you've really got, the more you let people prosper, the more they help each other. And in a sense, when that happens, you've got people who are making themselves successful so they can help each other. And that's really the form of uh, what I am now. And just the, as as I said, as, as well as I can recall uh, to Kate before, uh, he has served as the introductor of liberty, of the graces of liberty, and the free will that God gives man to better himself, thus ushering in the betterment of all mankind through their own means. And that's really what conservatism is to me, because people know me, or what I've so endearingly been called, a libertarian conservative. And that's not something that I so freely... Uh, except because for me conservatism has been the acceptance of maybe not acceptance of but the tenets of liberty have always been in my opinion strong in conservatism you look at people like Barry Goldwater who you know you think about things that he said um, after all the trouble we caused in uh, 
Vietnam, why not just nuke them? And, you know, you can draw your own conclusions. You can draw your own conclusions on that. But as far as I know about Barry Goldwater, as one of the original conservatives, you know, people like him and uh, Ronald Reagan, who sort of ushered in the conservative movement, despite Ronald Reagan's uh, uh, sort of, you know, deficits and his amnesty. Yes, his fiscal flaws, I can agree on that. And uh, some of his mm, leniencies on immigration, he was a great president. And Barry Goldwater, I think, would have been a good president. And like I said, based on what I know about Barry Goldwater, he was a very liberty-loving individual, a constitutionalist. And that's those are the tenets of conservatism that have been so maligned by individuals who choose to engage in perpetual war across the world and as i said before have the philosophy of if you if you got a problem you can bomb it and that's something that's a new catchphrase i just came up with that i like quite i'll, I'll be using that from now on <laughs> and so we can talk about different aspects of uh the fights in the world and where where force may be needed to protect americans and america's interests and, you know, there are many different cases and not one philosophy necessarily can be applied to all because you're going to have many special cases that need a different approach. And that's something that we can explore throughout uh, the endurance of our podcasts and however long we choose to go on or if we find relative success, I hope that proves to be a long time. And maybe I can take you down the same road uh that I've been by elaborating some on what we believe together, uh, as has been the reason that I'm where I am today, both ideologically and otherwise. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's fascinating, Richard. So I want you to, uh, just tell the audience a little bit, uh, if people know your Instagram account, classical conservative, they know that at the top of your bio, your new catchphrase, I like to call it is I have nothing but my convictions and my traditions. Uh, I know there's a fascinating story and an argument behind that. And I would like you to tell it because every time you do, I get goosebumps and I think it's a beautiful story that you should. Thank you. Um, Yes, my faith, my convictions, and my traditions are things that mean very much to me. Um, I've, if anyone knows me in anything, how I conduct myself, I put God first. That's where I draw my moral, um, the, my moral uh, convictions. That's what I base my entire, how I conduct myself around is my more, uh, my my moral code and what I believe is a true and good ethical foundation to conduct yourself in regular life. And that's where my faith influences my convictions. My faith is first my belief in God as a Christian and my convictions and how I conduct myself, how I treat other people, um, how I believe in telling honest in, in being honest, telling the truth to the best degree that you can if you're not completely sure on something, you should say so and not try to defend it if you end up being wrong. And my traditions, I'm a very traditionalist person. If you've ever seen me, that's fairly evident. And uh, I'm the traditions of mankind, the more we see that 
traditions based on Judeo-Christian values that have really influenced the entire Western civilization and have been so prevalent in America and has really brought us to what I think, has, I, I really think that's the thing that has brought us to be a bastion of liberty and the the place where people come to be free. And it's because of those traditions and those values. And of course, we've had a rocky history, as anyone, no one would uh, argue against that. Uh, sometimes things have been done that are not morally, de uh, de that you cannot defend on a moral basis, nor should you try. And of course, that's things like that are within the history of any nation or any people. But America's always been a leader in the world in regards to uh, uh, both in the aspects of political-wise and uh, the, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Communities. And you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I definitely do. There, there's something about the American experiment. I don't know if it was the strong emphasis on local communities for the you know real first 200 years, but the, there's something about it that's always been a bastion of human liberty and human freedom. And I think a lot of that has to come through uh, the conservatism of the people and of the government structure. I mean, say what you want about the awfulness of things like the First National Bank and uh, the demolishing of the Whiskey Rebellion, which God save the Whiskey Rebellion, if you know what I'm referring to. But there's there's been something about the, the smallness relatively of the government and how unintrusive it's been and how conducive it's, it's been to the flourishing of mankind in the Americas. There's there's something about it that, that's never been like anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's comparable somewhat to the Dutch Republic or the Free States of Genoa during the late Middle Ages. But even then, those bask in comparison to the American experiment. I, I think that alone is something fascinating. Um, I, I would like to touch on one or two things. There seems to be something that um, many in the conservative movement today have, they've liked to steal uh, the names of liberty and of conservatism, and they've stolen it in a harmful way. Um, we can look at uh, people like McMuffin or uh, Evan McMullen, as I like to I like to call him McMuffin, and I think a lot of others do as well. But um, he's stolen this name conservative to really just mean a, a a fiscally moderate Republican with moderate social and foreign policy views, and there's nothing conservative about it. It's just slightly less worse than neoconservatives like Lindsey Graham and John McCain, who have no problem sending in and you know twenty thousand ground troops into some foreign country for an definite amount of time because well i said so um and then you even have those the um the never trump crew who a lot of them have been outspokenly cringy and taking the name of conservatism to simply mean <laughs> our blend of um obedience to the state and i'll even give it to some of the trump fanatics too there are certain things that trump has done that I would not consider very conservative at all, and then there are many things I would consider extraordinarily conservative. But the, the name's truly been taken from you know what Burke and many of the other original conservatives meant it to be. It was this um, upholding of human tradition, the tradition of the West, 
how the West built civilization, our theological, our moral standards, our philosophical standards for everything, about ethics, about divinity, about it all. It's all built on this conserving the past and how modern conservatives don't conserve anything. You know, they in the 50s, conservatives were against, you know, one of two things, Catholics and um, communism. And now they're not even against those be, as most of the neoconservative movement were formed from Trotskyites that left the Communist Party in the 50s because they were being ostracized uh, by the United States and because of the McCarthyites. And it's, it's terrible. So we're looking at the cornerstone that we're building here to become the true cornerstone for conservative commentary in a way that true liberty-minded conservatives can feel um, appreciated, like their ideas do have relevance. There are still people in the world who haven't gone on the Lindsey Graham train or followed Egg McMuffin off a cliff yet. Um, I, I truly believe this will become the new institute for conservative commentary as others can look. The, the idea of human flourishing comes from the conservation of our social institution and our old ways of life. So um, that's all I have to say. Richard, do you have anything else to add? Um, yes, I think that just the last thing that you really have to say on that point is the people of the United States have conserved their moral standings their way of life without government interference. You think about back when the government was small and people lived in their communities and they, they talked to each other. They, they, they upheld, they, they held their own and they kept going what they believed was right. And the, the, uh, endurance of the Judeo Christian values, the more that a state intervenes in just the way that the people are and the way that the people themselves uphold their community, the more corrosive the community, the nationally speaking, will become. And, you know, just it'll get to a point where everything will be so whitewashed. You'll ask yourself, what do we stand for? And when you don't stand for anything, how can you have anything to fight for? Yeah, per perfectly said. I, I don't think I could have said it in any better way than myself. If if you don't know what you're conserving, you know, why are you trying to conserve anything at all? Why do you choose the mantra of conservative when you don't even know what you stand for? It's it's a real problem and it's something that I, I hope we can solve through, you know, discussion of what conservatism is and what we're conserving and why we're conserving it. It's it's a question I think we all have to wrestle with sometimes and go, you know, what is it I, I truly believe? What is it I am attempting to conserve here in the ashes of the West? And it's something we all have to look at ourselves and go, this is it. This is where I stand. Um, there's a great... Go ahead. And I think... No, go, go I'm right sorry, ahead. go ahead. And I think that over the time as we talk and, and the people who are listening listen and maybe talk to us, if you ever get the opportunity to do to do that we hope you do um you'll find that what we're conserving is our individual liberty to conduct our lives and ourselves the way that we wish and you look at these um people who are quite adverse to conservative principle and philosophy they're talking about how society as a whole needs to operate they're not talking about the individual they're talking about how you need to be and how things need to affect you from their standpoint. And that's not what conservatism is. That's liberalism. And that's 
also something whether you and and that's a big thing when a conservative wants to affect the community in his conservative image that's not very conservative in my opinion because you're not letting the individual act in his own interests and with the liberty to do it his own way and that's something that i think conservatives have lost i i completely agree and um talking there there's a quote that i um I remember Luther saying it very fondly at the Diet of Worms. Um, there's a quote that he's famous for saying, and it goes something a little bit like this. Uh, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And I, I think that that perfectly sums up the position of the conservative. Here I stand. I can do no other. What more can we do? I don't know. But I think that through this journey, we're going to find out what we stand for, what we can do, why once we get up there, there's nothing more we can do. We have to stand firm in our principles and be the guiding light. So that's why I'm asking all of you to join us for the Cornerstone every Wednesday night for your true con Cornerstone of conservative commentary on the issues every time. I'm Cade Buckley, signing off. And I'm Richard Stone. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to... See you again.